0: Hello and welcome to One Brain at a Time. I'm Dr. K. And I'm Dr. J. Welcome back for episode two. I know, this is so exciting. And we decided to take it big. We are on the road. (laughs) (laughs) Just you and I and our equipment. We're down in Virginia Beach and we're actually staring at the ocean right now. And it is absolutely beautiful little cold, though. Yeah. Gail warnings this last week. And it's crazy, too, because I live in Massachusetts, you live in Vermont, and we're down here saying it's cold. I know. I know. The locals are blaming us that we brought the weather down (laughs) with us. So we have been discussing what we wanted to talk about, and I know the whole mission of this podcast was for us to share... Our experiences, not just professionally, but personally. And so, a topic of conversation that comes up quite a bit in our just everyday uh, chats is about communication, communication style, and how that really tends to be the cornerstone for any of us, all of us. So true. That causes disruption. So, I was. Sorry to cut you off, but I was just going to say, not just uh, perceived negative communication, but the inability to share intimate, uh,
1: positive communication. Oh, gosh, yeah, you know, absolutely, and just being able to share information. Period. So often um, when I'm working, I share with people that the word confrontation scares a lot of people and they get all tight inside and I can't say anything. And what I say to them is that confrontation is bringing something to the table and what differentiates it from being a negative experience versus a positive experience is your tone, your authenticity, and being respectful. Yeah. And it's also remembering that you're honoring yourself. And if the person means something, you're also honoring them. Well, like we were we were just actually having this conversation a
0: couple days ago and how I feel like it's an epidemic uh, across many people I talk to that people get the concept of communication blurred with confrontation if I had a nickel for every conversation I said I had professionally or personally with people who I can't say anything or whatever I don't like confrontation like that's not confrontation that's communication and how to understand when you use your voice in a respectful kind manner that's communication right
1: yeah no, I absolutely agree. And, you know, we see it frequently on people who are always really positive and very nice. And that behind that, you don't hear what their thoughts are saying. And so what their internal system is saying silently and how they're portraying it on the external can be really disjointed. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not authentic either.
0: Right. Well, to that point, that idea of everything's
1: fine. Yes. Everything's fine. I'm keeping it moving. There's no worries here. And one thing I hear all the time, but I feel so guilty. Guilt, guilt, guilt is the word that comes up all the time that people feel bad. And it's, you know, it's obviously much deeper than that. Um, But how guilt motivates people to not honor themselves and not to communicate um, in the manner that needs to happen. Because if we don't have honesty and transparency, in particular with our closest people, then there's going to be breakdown. There just is. Yeah. When
0: I was doing uh, mostly couples work, it was always around communication, communication styles, how you hear and listen. And everyone's nervous system, everyone's brain is different. And how information gets in is different. And yet, when we meet somebody, and we fall in love, it's Oh, everyone just is supposed to understand how I operate, mm-hmm. so that you communicate with me the way I need to be communicated. And most people uh, find themselves in that situation of realizing, "Oh, I need to, I need to be able to teach somebody me." That's right. why I say to people all the time in right. couples, "It's your job to teach your partner you." Right, and if you don't have a clue about that, then how are they supposed to know? So, communication. I often, I often say, I'm not a couples therapist, but a communication coach. Yeah, because all roads lead to communication, and kind of speaks to to um, as you were talking. I was thinking cultural context, gender context, how all of that plays a role in how you
1: develop or not develop communication styles or skills no and it's so true working with trauma oftentimes well honestly the majority of the time I see that um, the way that people communicate is really rooted in survival and the brains that I work with are the anxiety brains so they're usually the I feel so bad I shouldn't say anything And it's this way of feeling that you're solely going to tip another human by expressing your truth. And so when we go back in time, we can find that spot or those spots where the human has lost confidence and belief and hope and trust in themselves. So then the guilt comes in in order to justify them not stepping up and honoring themselves. Yeah. And I've had the opposite. Working
0: with people who yelling louder is what they think can work for them to get Mm -hmm. their points across. And both, it's interesting, both show up in different ways but it, the end result is still happening that they're not effectively communicating and they're not effectively being heard i had this conversation with a couple uh, a few weeks ago and was trying to point out that when you're in conversation and you feel activated whether it's hurt anger, whatever Understanding that that's just the doorbell into your stuff. How you proceed with that tells your story. And most of us, me included, have been tied up in that thought of, oh, they should know, or I can't believe they said that, or all that narrative stuff that happens. And the reality is, is that most people... Don't show up for a conversation with the intention to hurt or to activate or whatever. But uh, you say that all the time with um, whose story are you telling? Is it yours or theirs? And I I use that. I stole (laughs) that. I use that all the time because it's so powerful. I'll use the example. This is one of the examples I always use is, Uh, I'll say to a client, if you showed up to my office and said, Kristen, those glasses are goofy. And if I said, I can't believe you just said that, you da-da-da-da-da, or if I said to you, ooh, that hurt, these were given to me by my mom, and they really mean something, which example is telling the healthier story? And then consequently, if you come back and it's like, oh, my gosh, I didn't mean it or don't be so sensitive or whatever. Is that telling my story or your story and getting kind of a bigger picture conversation about the communication, whose story is being told?
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, I feel that we all tell our own stories, And that it's up to us to decide how we respond um, in situations where we've been hurt. Historically, there's a population out there that carries all the woundedness in the sense that they feel solely responsible, um, that they Mm -hmm. somehow had a role in why that person said what they said to them or didn't invite them or they immediately go within and it's like well i'm just not enough i'm not worthy enough and then there's a population out there that is what i call the fighter the oppositional defiant teenager who's like screw them i don't need them and they go into that um, mode both of which is a trauma response in my clinical lens versus a wow you know what i wish i had been invited to that party but i'm gonna go out and ask so and so if they want to do something and not in a vindictive right. way but i wanted to go out friday night i wasn't invited to this function but that doesn't mean i can't go out
0: can i ask you when you just talked about the the fighter and and whatnot can both exist? Oh, absolutely, and we
1: fluctuate between the two.
0: How so? Can do you have an example of how that?
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, so when you're talking about the people that are being angry, um, that is what I would deem, and not in all cases. I mean, there are certainly other reasons why people can get angry or rageful, but. Um, if somebody can't manage ownership in a situation, so let's go back to the eyeglasses and you said, you know, my mom gave this to me. I really, they mean something to me. And the person came back like, Oh, come on. That person can't manage owning their words. Mm -hmm. And so they've got to still make it about you. So they're um, transferring the responsibility onto you versus somebody else who would be like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I didn't mean to say that to you. It's all my fault. And then in the silence of their mind being like, oh, I am such a loser. I cannot believe I said that to my therapist. I cannot believe I opened my big trap and said that. (laughs) But this is the dialogue. So there are people that go within And they'll say, I'm so sorry, but then it doesn't stop there for them. They just go into self-loathing and self-deprecation and continue to shame themselves. But I just, what you just said about, uh, that exchange, uh,
0: again, with the glasses, which by the way, I have very cool glasses (laughs) that I got at Warby Parker and they are stunning. Anywho, um, If I said to you, say, uh, you were the one who said to me, your glasses are goofy or whatever. And I said, oh, that hurt my heart. You know, these have sentimental value. And if you said to me, oh, I'm sorry that I wasn't, I was just being goofy and my apologies. I would never want to hurt your heart. And then both of us move on from that. Yes. That's healthy regulation. Because you owned it, I broached it, brought
1: it to your attention, and we both moved on. Yes, and I think oftentimes, and I'm guilty of this, of trying to explain like this dissertation as to why I've done something wrong. (laughs) <laughs> and so the only thing I would say is in response to what you just said was, Oh my goodness. The last thing I ever wanted to do was hurt your heart. Yeah. End of story. Right. Not I was being goofy or trying to explain why you were, you know, right. it's just that adult thought pattern of being mature and respectful, uh, maintaining your integrity because we, are imperfect beings and we're all going to mess up yeah. at one point or another. Always, always. You just brought up in a, uh, another
0: kind of theme I see in communication as well is if I, we should probably come up with a different scenario than my glasses, but going back to that, if I said, oh, um, that hurt me. These are sentimental glasses. And you started going into what I call the defensive tap dance. And you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. And just continue on like you were saying about the dissertation. That opens up the door for more conversation about it as opposed to just keeping it simple and saying, oh, uh, no sorry about that. That was not my intention. And moving on that defensive tap dance stuff, uh, I think can get people into trouble with communication.
1: Yeah. I mean, again, from my lens, it's a trauma response because the human has registered that they have made uh, in their mind a huge mistake. Right. Okay. And in their body, they feel that it's like life or death. So that the only way that they know how to um, help the person understand right. their intention is to keep telling them more and more and more right. to explain it.
0: Right. And that will sometimes present as guilty.
1: Well, the per- yeah, the person feels immense guilt and this is motivated out of guilt right but again you know it's how did that person get to this point right
0: well that was what i was thinking as we were talking about that because i can imagine listeners going okay this is all great information but how do we avoid all of this and how much this is the million dollar question How much of that do you think is just innate in us and how much of this is taught or role modeled or the whole nature versus nurture thing?
1: That's a really good question. Excuse me. Um, again, I, because I'm so heavy in the trauma world that, The way I look at it is that we adapt and we accommodate. And so there's somewhere during development that we don't have full brain potential, but we're smart enough to start testing out different ways to function and to be in an environment. And if we get response back in a positive light, then we'll continue to use that. Mm -hmm. And so it's understanding. And so often, you know, I end up working with people anywhere from their late teens to, well, right now, 80. And it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what gender you are. It really comes down to how you said earlier about processing. How we process things through our brain is going to be different from each individual. And it's going to be determined by the functionality of our brain
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the direction in which the trajectory of diagnosis. So somebody who has been diagnosed with depression is going to have a different response in processing than somebody who's diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. Just strictly from an energetic vibrational rate, how they process it is going to be determined by the brain.
0: Yeah. I was thinking back on my own journey of communication and I adopted it at a very early age. If you keep them laughing, then that's the way to smooth the waters. And then getting into my relationship with my husband currently, My current husband, not like a hundred. I don't know why I said that, but we will be together almost 30 years next year. And how early on in our relationship, how things that would trip my wire and I would get so mad. And what was really happening was that little kid inside was. Taking that information in as um, not being respected or prioritized prioritized that's that's more of it, and how I would go to anger mm-hmm. and and not be able to articulate what I wanted to because I didn't even understand what was happening inside and how many times I would be like, you know, oh, you got to do this or whatever. And now how freeing it is that if I feel some kind of tripped wire, I can say, and this is what I coach all of my um, couples to do. I'm feeling some kind of way. And I don't know if it's my stuff, if it's your stuff, or if it's our stuff, but can you take a minute and help me figure this out and build more of a collaboration of communication because I know now that just because I feel something, especially with anger, How justified you can become. Oh, absolutely. And then you create all the narratives that justify they should have known and how
1: dare they. This was so disrespectful and stuff. And it's just, it's just not true. Well, what often happens um, with anger, and let me just say that anger absolutely can be a positive emotion. It can be the fuel that somebody needs to be motivated to, you know, we often hear the stories of somebody that was told by a teacher that they would never be whatever it is. And that became the uh, catalyst for them to reach big. And, but anger is that emotion where, we regain the control and power that we're currently internally feeling that we've lost. And you said it, you know, you felt. Yeah. What was it? Not prioritized. Not prioritized. Right. And so, you know, it uses a way to try to manipulate in an environment, just like the person who feels guilt, It's a way, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. It's a way to diffuse and manipulate the other person to get the behavior that they need. Right. And and I just want to say that, you know, what I tell folks is that we want people to change when they are doing something that hurts us or makes us mad or turns us off. Whatever it is, it's them. Mm -hmm. And what we don't realize is that the only person that has the power to change is ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that until we really fully grasp this, we're going to keep pointing the finger at the other person to change. Yeah, because wouldn't that be a miracle that in
0: this life, everyone could change so that we can stay accountable. I mean that's really what our work's about, because if you were able to have everyone in your life change to accommodate what you needed, yeah, we'd be out of business
1: we absolutely we wouldn't be here right now,
0: <laughs> but think of how boring that would be that you wouldn't learn and grow about yourself and it to what you always talk about that authentic self
1: yeah and i mean that and it doesn't mean that the journey isn't excruciating at times and lonely and painful but it's also enlightening and it's learning and it's realizing that it's nobody's job to change for me it's my job to change for me mm-hmm And if I'm needing something that I'm not getting from another person, I've got to decide that either I meet that need myself or that there is a fair and equitable point in all of this that my partner should show up. Right. And if he can't, then it's my decision to exit the relationship. And what I see often is people just You know, hoping and wishing and and hammering their partner or, you know, please, please just do this or just trying to be the best spouse that they could, hoping that they'll see them. Right. And that just doesn't work. Right.
0: And that, I mean, you bring up an excellent point because. That feeling of being on a gerbil wheel in a relationship whether it's romantic or not in just or groundhog day that you keep repeating the pattern yes. over and over and over whether it's the anger pattern the hurt pattern whatever that why do we make it so hard when it can be so easy to look and recognize That we all have capacity, and sometimes where we're at in life, we've hit our capacity,
1: and it's okay to move on. But the thing is, is we don't like pain as human beings, and so we will try and fight for something over and over and over again, and we keep this hope that it's going to work out and it's more on the line of a separation anxiety that I don't, I don't want to leave you. I don't want to live this life by myself. I don't want to. And absolutely it is painful saying goodbye depending on the level of relationship. But if you don't have that relationship with yourself, then why and how do you expect anybody to give that level of regard to you? That's such an important thing. And I, I kind of
0: feel being in my 50s now that how do you impart that understanding? I, I don't think I could have gotten that concept in my teens or 20s or whatever about how important that relationship with self is, and if it kind of goes back to I might have said this before that my golden rule that I share with everyone is people act the way they do because they can, so if you're telling me that someone's yelling at you all the time, that's because they can, and I'm not talking about severe situations of domestic violence and stuff i'm not that's not what I'm talking about. But, uh, you know, if someone's not coming home at night and not calling you to give you the courtesy to say, I'm not going to be, they're doing that because they can. Mm-hmm. If somebody uh, tears you down and says, you don't know, you're dumb, you're whatever, they're doing that because they can. Right. And how do you... Um, have the conversation, or how can you? I guess I'm saying this because there are times where I feel frustrated to be able to articulate it to say, You don't have to be in this relationship, you don't have to have this exchange. But the what you're saying is the fear of what's on the other side hold somebody there because at least
1: the controlled situation. Yeah. That's what I say that um, we feel more comfortable with the devil we know versus the devil we don't know. And that's in part why people stay. The other thing I've found is it really, when people tolerate disrespect, it's again, telling that person's story that they don't, have a core belief about their value. Yeah. And at some level, they believe that this is as good as it's going to get. So I can't lose this person. Right. And over the last couple of years, there's been quite a bit published about the narcissist empath relationships. Mm. And I just, I find that curious because it's obviously a dynamic that has happened quite a bit. Sure. And you know, it's it takes two people to get into that relationship.
0: Yeah, because I don't I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but I have never had a couple who comes into couples therapy who are the same person. No. In the sense of it's almost like two puzzle pieces. Mm-hmm. And I I always say uh, newsflash, you couldn't be in a relationship with yourself. Right. Like a version of yourself because right. it wouldn't last. Right. So you're drawn to people who are going to probably uh, sweep you off your feet, but then also push those buttons. And that's, again, I don't want to focus on romantic relationships because this happens in friendships. I was when we were talking about this the other day and I was thinking about friendships that I have had and how dynamics that were in friendships were also dynamics I had in romantic relationships. Mm. And it wasn't until, again, I kind of feel like it's hard because you want to understand it all. But I think that there's just, you can't rush wisdom and that there's a, evolution that happens with understanding again what we started this whole conversation about was communication and what what trips your wire or or what motivates you or whatever that journey of understanding yourself so that you can
1: then become a
0: better communicator
1: i feel that you know we don't know what we don't know Mm -hmm. and Nobody ever shared this type of insight with me, even in therapy. Nobody ever talked to me straight like this. And, you know, that's a large part of why we're doing this. And it's understanding that regardless of your age, you can develop healthy communication skills And that you can get good with yourself. You can learn to believe and have the value within you. By taking the time and focusing in on you. We're such an external society and we look at money and houses and cars and status as that we've arrived. But the truth is, is that if you don't have your core in place, none of that is going yeah. to give you what you need. It's not sustainable. No. What about pivoting
0: on to communication when it comes to the warm and fuzzies? <laughs> How, let me ask you, what would you rate yourself, zero to 10, 10 being the best? How would you rate yourself as far as communicating the warm and fuzzies?
1: Um, Present day? Yeah. I would say I'm about a 7. Really? Yeah. I'd rate you like a 15. No, I would say I'm about a 7. If I went back 20 years, I would say I was a 10. Really?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I would say opposite. All right, enough about you. (laughs) What about me?
1: Let me see. What would I
0: (laughs) yourself. So I would say I'd put myself at a five today. Yeah, I'd say you're
1: an eight today. Well,
0: <laughs> an eight today. What would you have read me back? In the I
1: would. <laughs> uh, this is about to take a turn, people. I would have said you were a five years ago, twenty years ago.
0: Yeah, I would have said I was like a two.
1: But, but
0: it's also, this is also that same kind of thing because the warm and fuzzies are just as important in terms of communication and how I think I see just as much difficulty with that as I do the other end of the spectrum.
1: 100%. And that's why I'm saying 10, 20 years ago, even... 40 years ago, I was always so nice. Like I was until somebody wasn't nice and then I wasn't so nice. <laughs> <laughs> then my fighter would come up. Oh, Rocky Balboa in the <laughs> house. <laughs> Which happened like maybe once a year, once every two years. But.
0: <laughs> we would all say clutch your <laughs> pearls. And for those of you who don't know my sister, she has worn a strand of pearls since birth. She is never without her pearls on. So we'd see those
1: pearls swinging in the air and we'd run the other way. But, you know, so I was coming from this place of developing because I'm the oldest, that if I was helpful, that I would get positive affirming. And so that's how I learned how to survive. Yeah, I well, was the ultimate caretaker. And so in order to do that, I always had to be thoughtful and kind. And so that's where I say 20 years ago, I was a 10 because I was just, you know, so into that caregiving role. And some of it is some of it was authentic, but with the folks that I work with, it's about taking away the survival part that you believe is all of you and really getting to lean on the part that you were born with. And so that's why I'm a seven today, because yeah. I don't jump in order to get my validation in the world anymore. Mm hmm by people reflecting back that I did something good. What about saying I love you? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I think that's, you know, definitely uh, in part a cultural slogan. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's, you know, it it depends, you know, Like with my kids, when I I say, and my niece your child, (laughs) um, I'll say, I love you more because I love them more to the sky, to the moon. Um, And I mean it with every cell in my body. Yeah. But I think that just like any other language, you know, we can use it. And sometimes there isn't the authenticity behind it. Yeah. The
0: idea of being vulnerable and communicating the warm and fuzzies, it's an interesting thing too, because actually kind of a sidebar from that, you and I have noticed that being down here in Virginia, how nice everyone is. Yes. And when we're back home, You don't get the warm and fuzzies like you do down here. And so from a cultural standpoint, it's interesting just even going to a different place in the country and seeing how easily accessible, kind, respectful communication is just ingrained. And not that, you know, whatever. I know Massachusetts has a really bad rap for not being the nicest, but... It is, I guess maybe it does have a lot to do with how you're raised.
1: I'm going to say that I think it plays out in different ways. In Vermont, um, somebody, if, you know, there's snow and you slide off the road, somebody may pull over and, you know, just say, hey, I'll pull you out and might not approach you with, hi, how are you doing today? I'll take care of you. Right. Um, But they're being kind, they're helping their neighbor out. And it's just, I think what we're experiencing down here is more of the verbal and the nonverbal of a smiling face and engaging in an upbeat tempo, which makes you process that. They're happy to talk with you, or to see you, or to engage in you know pleasantries. Right, and it's interesting too that
0: just that emotional intimacy in communication. How many I had a couple in about a year ago who had been married forty years. Oh wow! And when we were starting to cover communication styles and stuff. The warm and fuzzies, it was so fascinating how one partner felt the warm and fuzzies, but to articulate it was like, nope, nope, can't do it, won't do it, that kind of thing. And the other partner was like, but that's what I need to feel connected or whatnot. So we did a lot of work around getting comfortable With that and being able to, I love you, you know, just, just
1: being able to be okay with the warm and fuzzies. I've usually found that when a person is struggling with that, that they grew up in an environment that there weren't the warm and fuzzies. Yes. A hundred percent. So it's not like you said that they don't feel it. They just were never taught how to express it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It kind of makes me think about the, um, you and I were just talking about this, the love language. Mm -hmm. Who's that by? Gary Chapman, I think.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure.
0: Uh, If anyone who's listening has not taken the love language quiz, it's free online. I don't know. I think if you just Google love language quiz, it'll probably come up. And it talks about, the five ways that we all uh, experience the warm and fuzzies, I guess is what I could say, the love language and how um, for me, I was telling you earlier that acts of service. So my husband, if he, you know, is like, Oh, what do you want for dinner? I'll pick it up. Or, Uh, we had talked about him picking us up at the airport when we fly home. Like, that is how I feel loved. And I am so grateful. And I tell my husband all the time, I love him and such. But to know how you experience that is especially from the topic today, communication, because if I was that type of person who needed words of affirmation, someone who needed to be told and um, reiterated how much they're loved or appreciated, and he was doing things like picking me up, thinking he was expressing love or, you know, whatever that, we would be off kilter. So that is one thing I would offer to anyone listening. Do yourself a favor and take the love language quiz because it can give you some real good insight on how, again, to teach your partner you.
1: Yeah. And I also want to say that it's never too late to learn. No. And so, you know, what I say to folks is, you know, perhaps in the beginning, you've got to write yourself notes as a reminder, because it's not something that has been practiced. And that's how we learn is through repetition. But if you commit to it, and you practice it, and you remind yourself that eventually, it's going to become second nature to you. Yeah. So wrapping up this discussion about communication, I want
0: people to have some concrete tools walking away. One of the things I think that's really important is understanding that in the art of communication, it's knowing thyself and understanding if there are things that trigger tone, words, emotions, any of that, Really getting to understand what that is for you. Because as soon as our wires tripped, it's physiology. I mean, talking about neurobiology, you go into survival mode and you literally stop cognitively <laughs> being able to process what somebody's saying. They turn into Charlie Brown's teacher. And uh, yeah, it really affects your ability to communicate.
1: So what you're talking about is you go into survival mode. So you either go into the fighter or the fleer. Um, And the fleer is usually the, oh, I'm so sorry, what can I do? I won't do this again. I, I promise I won't do this again. And the fighter will be, you know, what's your problem? Why, you know, this is not acceptable. Why aren't you doing this? So it's understanding that, Although these words can hurt at times, it's really the response of something that has been activated within that human being that's displaying this level of behavior,
0: yeah, and again, keeping it in context, like today I was driving, and i I accidentally pulled out into a road and didn't see a uh, person on their motorcycle and they were kind of shouting at me, that's normal, (laughs) you know, and then they moved on and I'm sure they forgot about me. So in the context of kind of within normal limits of emotions and stuff, and certainly by no means that if one is ever in a conversation or communication with somebody who is abusive or disrespect you know This doesn't apply to you.
1: But I also, since you're um, bringing this up, it's making me think about gaslighting. And so that's a form of communication. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes the person who is the prime picking, because they don't have their core and they feel guilty, they believe the words of another. And so the gaslighting is an abusive form But because it's words, people don't really identify it as abusive. And what happens over time is it absolutely beats down another person and they start second guessing
0: who they are. Right. Wordsmithing to the degree that you are able to get somebody to believe that actually you're the problem. Yes. Yeah. And so that's a whole nother level of conversation with communication, but I just wanted to clarify, see practicing communication (laughs) that what you and I were talking about today is just kind of the norm. Yes. Norm of variation of communication. So um, any advice you have for somebody who might be struggling with the concept of communication
1: So one of the things that I look at when I'm working with somebody are their thought patterns and our thought patterns will create our communication patterns. And if you are in a place where you're getting reflections back by a person or or a boss or a partner who will say negative things and, Take note of that if they're trusting and loving people because it's data yeah. and it's not the essence of who you are. There's something that is disrupting your brain. Um, If you're the type of individual who has the thought pattern of, you know, I'm the problem, I'm the one that makes the mistakes and people outside of like that gaslighter are not reflecting back to you, then there's something going on with your brain. And I look at things as mild, moderate and severe, and you need to find a professional to really assess and evaluate what's going on. Because if you don't figure out what's going on, then it could potentially get in the way of learning new communication skills.
0: Yeah. And I would also reiterate that idea of if things aren't operating in the way that you think they should, then get an outside perspective. And this isn't just a plug for a therapist because my therapist has been instrumental in figuring out how I can better communicate. And ironically, This is what I do for work, but in my personal world, really being able to hone some skills because like we said at the beginning, as soon as emotions start to rise in any direction, communication can be interrupted. And so my tip would be if you are, you know, if the wires tripped, take a moment. Nothing needs to be solved right then and there take some space away from the conversation and say i feel whatever i feel activated my wire's tripped give me a moment give me an hour give me 2 hours let me get my thoughts together and let me come back so that we can have this conversation so the emotions aren't leading the charge it's okay we have time yeah and i think that's the thing That's the biggest lesson I've had to learn personally because I used to be that person, (laughs) especially in a professional capacity. If I got an email, oh, I was writing an email right back. And then somebody told me, give it the 24 hour rule, put it in draft and come back to it the next day. And if you feel that same kind of way, then hit send. And if not, edit and then hit send or delete you know but i think there is this adopted belief just because we feel something means we have to act upon it and i'm my suggestion is just take some time just breathe around it because if our wires tripped or were activated pay attention what's going on it's the doorbell
1: yeah it's absolute data that we can collect on ourselves and um you're worth it. Yeah. You're worth it to find your truth in who you are and to experience this life with freedom. Amen.
0: And with that, as you say, experience freedom, I'm looking out at the ocean saying, oh, it is so beautiful here in Virginia. So thanks
1: for hosting us,
0: Virginia Beach.
1: Thanks so much for joining us. This is Dr. Jay. And Dr. K. Bye-bye. See you soon.